0: This podcast is a production of Unfiltered Studios. If you would like to know more about joining Unfiltered Studios, please visit our website at unfpod.com for more information. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Spartacus Coffee is made for and made by hustlers, entrepreneurs, peak athletes, self-starters, and free thinkers. Our community of coffee drinkers believe in lifting each other up to be the best version of ourselves we can be. On top of that, every sale goes to the nonprofit organization No Kid Hungry, a national effort to end childhood hunger in America. To learn more about that and order some of the best, richest coffee you can find at an affordable price, go to SpartacusCoffee.com and be sure to use my promo code. It's pretty simple. It's Jay Burke, which is J A Y B U R K E, and get 10% off your first order. Remember, Spartacus Coffee. We fuel the grind, we fuel the success, we fuel champions. We are Spartacus. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. The thing about mythology is it reveals timeless human concerns life and death to morality, offering insights into ancient societies, and serving as a moral guide. These enduring narratives also inspire art and advertising, tapping into universal themes across cultures and generations. And for this episode, there was nobody better in mind to talk about this than Chelsea Turpin and Coxie, who you may remember from our Sleeping in Dreams episode. But at its heart, this episode's really a friendly chat between Chelsea and I about why these old stories still matter to us today. It looks into how these ancient tales help us understand our feelings, who we are, and our place in the world. And I can't lie to you, this was one of my favorite discussions I've ever had on the show. It's exactly the type of deep dive into a subject that splitters off into a million different directions which I often promise because I know myself. But it really feels like just two friends sitting down, trying to uncover the hidden meanings in stories that they heard from long ago and still fit into our lives right now. But find out for yourself in an episode I'm calling Bridging Worlds, The Power of Myth in Modern Society with Chelsea Turpin and Coxie. Yeah, what you after strange, but not a stranger. i guy burning down the Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes meandering conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs and want to come away with new knowledge about subjects that aren't always easy to break down, then you're the person I want listening to this podcast. Today, I get the pleasure of speaking with Chelsea Turpin and Coxie again. Chelsea is a dream analysis coach who explores dreams as metaphors for inner truths. We discuss how myths have long served a similar role as collective dreams expressing humanity's deepest nature. Though different in form, myths and dreams both speak symbolically. Dreams reflect the psyche's inner myths, while cultural myths give shape to mankind's greatest hopes and fears. Myths grapple with love, courage, meaning, all of life's timeless mysteries. They transport us beyond the everyday as dreams do each night. In other words, myths are the dreams we dream together. Chelsea, welcome back.
1: Hi, that was amazing, by the way. God, I love how you did that. I'm glad to be back. This is going to be a fun conversation. I
0: had to try to tie them together somehow.
1: Love it. You're great at it. No, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. And it's interesting because the mythology and all that, it really does correlate a lot of the human psyche, what we experience in our daytime, as well, as you were saying, projecting it into humanity as a
0: mass collective. Yeah, definitely. And this is a subject that you can really go almost anywhere with. We still live with many of the myths that started out a long time ago. They are a way for us to deal sometimes with the unknown.
1: Yeah. It's always an expression that someone has been through or uh, experienced, or it's an emotional thing. Um, And it gets quite complex. There's some history sometimes in these two, but I've noticed as it progresses, it seems to be very much a human psychological processing it is a bit of a map that, when you view it that way it's like or we're not the first people to experience these emotions or these hurdles internally that's been going on for all of humanity on an individual scale and a mass collective and you know you're not alone in this stuff and i do love how it's very story-like with the expressions too
0: how did you get into myths i know you're big into psychology did that naturally lead you there So it was
1: history was a lot. And I was studying world religion, spirituality, different cultures, but I wasn't starting with the modern day stuff. I really love like ancient history. So I was doing a lot of like primitive man studies at the time. And I realized how important the stories were to some of the most earliest cultures. I really enjoyed how it progressed from primitive man's history and into culture and societies. And how we express certain things. So I was really big into shamanism, along with primitive man, and then it led me from shamanism to mythology. Uh, so there was a lot of history. I'm, I love history a lot. I
0: love history, so I'm a big U.S. history person. But I mean, I love history in general. It's just sometimes it's so vast. I'm like, where do I even go? Because you could get into like Asian history is fascinating too, and then that, but that's so long and. And obviously, Europe has its own history. and You know, it's fun to look at putting together a puzzle and seeing how everything goes together. My friend who comes on, he's a history teacher, and he'll talk about it. He calls history, it's a web, and it's just interconnecting. And Early myths had a lot of influence on current religions that we have now. It's just trying to figure out where we belong in the cosmos. Although they didn't know the cosmos, they just saw the sky and tried to figure out What was going on up there?
1: Yeah. Wanting to connect to something bigger than us. To not feel alone in the world. It was extremely lonely, very survival mode. Um, And that's why I really like it. Primitive Man specifically, because it shows humanity at the rawness. And then how it progressed from there. And the first things we see is even shamanism and how it was this you know like one specific individual that really had some internal connection to what they felt was the universe or the spirit world and the nature around them really and uh and i, I think it really progresses from there like into mythology too though i i do feel like mythology was around even before primitive man maybe with older ancient cultures like Lumeria, atlantis all of that they have a lot of things that were lost so I feel like some of those stories did get carried over to Primitive Man, if that makes sense. I see Primitive as you right. survival mode, and it's like the world was kind of wiped out before, or in a phase.
0: Yeah, well, back to what the Paleo period, or whatever you want to call it. That's actually really interesting, too, because we actually really don't know where all this came from. We had... The biggest library that burned down in Alexandria, and we lost like 90% of all history. So when you think about that, it's patchwork as to how far we can go. I think I read somewhere that we've only recorded like 7% of our history.
1: Wow. Wow. Such a small number. But I believe it because if when you think throughout history, people are always going to war, destroying cultures, destroying history. It was very selfish. We've lost a lot of history in books and libraries through those times, and it's sad. It's by the hundreds and thousands of different wars that are just slowly depleted.
0: Well, there's the wars and then a lot of oral history, and who knows what changed over time with that.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's how mythology came about. It was all word of mouth, really. Uh, Campfire stories, talking and sharing, exploring Yeah, I'm sure the game telephone takes place after a while a little bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic church. I was a Catholic schoolboy for a while. I was always a questioner, though. They didn't like that. I'd be like, that makes no sense.
1: Same thing. um,
0: A lot is all oral tradition until... The Romans decided to finally get everything together. In 300, they had that council. and They put the books together. There was a bunch of stuff all over the place. But a lot of the early stuff was all just oral tradition.
1: Yeah, Or like individual people's writings that they had to gather up. Wait, you're talking about the council in Nicaea, right?
0: Yes. I couldn't think of the name of it.
1: Yeah. You know, they were only around just long enough to build the Bible, and then they didn't exist after that. It was crazy. When I looked up the history on like how long they were about, and I was like, ah. It's wild, but there were more books in the bible at first and i feel like different branches kind of picked and chose a little bit what they wanted to be actually be in their bible or what seemed like it was too questionable or didn't suit it right but so like some of those lost books of the bible are really interesting too actually oh There's yeah like 13 of them yeah
0: the gnostic scripts or something like that back in the day were a lot of them there was the book of Judas actually was really interesting. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: I haven't read it, but I would love to talk right. about it. <laughs> I didn't
0: read it, but I did. I watched something on it. It's so interesting because Jesus basically says that the God you're worshiping is the wrong God. It's actually the devil who fooled you into worshiping him. He trusted Judas with that. You know, it was interesting to look at it that way because when you think about like false idols and things like that we 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 have so many of them but that would probably be the way it would work. Yeah. Then. But anyway, yeah, those those are very interesting.
1: I need to read it now.
0: <laughs> I think there's other ones too. The Gnostic are the big ones. There was a whole slew of them.
1: And I like Gnostic ideas in general. The trinity ideas of like how mankind came about. They talk about some really interesting concepts. But like, I think the one of the oldest Christian branches would have been the Ethiopian Catholics. And I think they were like very mystic and they had a lot more magic involved with their views. And then of course, throughout time, it got a lot, a lot was washed out or watered down. But you know, Christianity in general is interesting, but again, it kind of just still rooted into like mythology still at like at some of the core.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it borrows a lot from Zoroastroism. Which was around like 2,000 years before Jesus. It's almost the same story.
1: To kind of go off of what we're talking about now, my childhood pastor growing up was my godfather. He died like a year ago. Um, But I was picking his brain like crazy while the last couple years he was alive. And uh, he had said at one point he actually was worried that maybe the church was not kept as sanctified as everyone thought it was. And what if you are actually going for the bad guy Even though he had a good relationship, I think it was personal. But I think when you look at history and stuff like that, it makes you wonder, like, was it really kept purified the whole time? Because the one thing that would want to be infiltrated to control the masses would be the belief systems, naturally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always been used as a tool. I mean, I don't have these issues with belief, to be honest with you. But a lot of times it's the actions they lead to that bother me. A lot of what people talk about, you know, Jesus or any of the other prophets is probably a good way to live your life, but nobody seems to live their life according to them. They talk about it, but I don't see it a lot. I see a lot of judgment. I
1: think it's because sometimes feeling the idea of something externally saving you is the lazy way out, where Jesus Mm. and a, a lot of these people were processing and going through the journey physically, and they were becoming the product versus... Just maybe allowing something externally, giving them a halt pass a tad bit.
0: That's a great point. I didn't think of it that way. Doing the inner work is the hard thing. Yeah. Leaving it up to something out there as much. Yeah, easier.
1: you're like, all right, cool. I can be an asshole today if I want to. <laughs> I'm still saved. <laughs> That's
0: what I used to talk about all the time. I used to be like, you mean when I'm about to die, as long as I'm really sorry? As long as I'm really sorry? Then? I'm really sorry. I could still go to heaven? And they're like, well, no, you have to like legitimately be sorry. And I'm like, but if like the last minute of my life, I'm legitimately sorry, I could still go. Yeah, like,
1: like, I'll see you, you later. Be a terrible human the whole process and still <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make the cut. <laughs> Miraculously. <laughs> it's interesting because people will talk about spirituality and I love spirituality a lot. I think it's organic in the journey and process of actually trying to do the work. But I do see how a lot of people are not seeking their soul and their internal story and wisdom from this, and they're just seeking external. So at that point, it doesn't matter if you're seeking spirituality externally or religion, because if you're just grabbing externally outwards to have a lifeboat, but you're not going internal to grab it, I think you're missing the point a little bit. You got to go into yourself. And I think that's where the mythology or the inspiration of mythology comes from, is going internally to yourself. And it's weird. It's a little trippy. But it's very much a mythological experience in your own yeah. psyche.
0: Yeah. Like, like you said, it all connects. I think it's hard today because society's built for the external anyway. There's just things built to take your attention away. Money is definitely... Well, money to me is, is God, you know, capital, whatever you want to call it. And that's just based on something external. There's nothing intrinsic about that. Yeah. I don't think we do a good job. I never thought this with children, especially in teaching them to look inward more. I think kids should be taught to process emotions and question things and just develop a sense of, of, I want to say who they are because who you are changes throughout your whole life. You know, you're never who you are. We do a bad job of teaching kids, you know, you know, the the thing we always teach kids is like, you have to do this. You can't, you can't ask questions or, or talk back to authority. And this is how society is structured and this is how it should work for you. And You know, I do think that there's some questioning to that at this point. I think, you know, during the COVID period, I think I saw that a little more when people were allowed to think a little bit, you know, be home and think for themselves a little bit. Even though they were stressed. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was still stressful. But
1: no, it's like they're uh, killing the genuine curiosity. Yeah. Because like one of the things I know is when I'm in the student chair, which I'm often always in the student chair, I'm always a student and I'm always – very curious, I want to know more, but i mean I'm seeking externally too, but I'm also trying to seek internally as well and like have it be this like relationship that cycles about right
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's a genuine curiosity, and it definitely makes you feel childlike and I don't think that should ever be like diminished or pushed away because that's curiosity is important in life. It makes you question things, seek deeper, kind of get on some of these rabbit hole conversations sometimes too yeah. You know, it's funny, they say curiosity kills the cat. Did it really? Or they just don't want you to be curious?
0: (laughs) They don't want you to be the curious cat, I think. No, no, I I agree with you. The best thing you can do is just know that you probably don't know much. No matter how smart you are, you really don't know
1: anything. Anyone that tells me they know it all sounds like an idiot.
0: I would never (laughs) say that. (laughs) I think that's how you keep an open mind is just kind of knowing that there's just more to know. For me, that used to be sometimes a problem, though, because I would be unsure of things. I almost was too open, like where I had no opinion at all about certain things, because I was like, I don't know if I really know that.
1: I think that would be like a foundation thing almost. There's certain things that you can lean on as a foundation and build up on that you know you may not be able to control how it evolves but this this and this makes a good foundation from there you get a lot more from it but it sucks though when you're killing your belief systems because you're basically tearing up the foundation too (laughs) so it's
0: its own process (laughs) i know i get it it's like it's so stressful well it could get like a little dark too when you get there it's almost like you're breaking it down to nothing and then you're like well what does anything mean
1: it's a good question though question that brings foundation Whenever you get some answers from it.
0: Well, I decided to make meaning. I had to look at it from the standpoint of, and I'm not saying it's meaningless or there's nothing out there or whatever, but if there was, the beauty is you just you get to make it. Yeah. You get to decide what is good.
1: I think that's awesome.
0: That's a great place to be.
1: And that's a great foundation to view a lot of things when you're trying to be open minded and pull into new concepts or to learn.
0: Well, so honestly, a lot of these myths deal with meaning and death and the afterlife and life because there were a lot of birth meanings or fertility was big in 8000 BC where you're talking about the earth and plants and the cycles of life and cycles of nature and it feels more natural when you think about stuff like that the cycle of life
1: yeah it's a very like shamanic concept too if we want to really dig deep without Going to externally in books, and knowledge, if you really wanted to know some answers to the basic things of life, you just watch the ecosystem naturally around you. Mm. It teaches a lot.
0: <laughs> I say that all the time. Like, we don't live in balance. I'm a big, I mean, I guess there are a lot of Buddhist teachings about that with balance and, I, you know, when I look at nature, I mean, we just, we don't live within nature. We don't live within the means. I mean, the Native Americans. I love the way they viewed life and like they would kill an animal, but they'd use all of it. And they were very respectful about it because it was sustenance and it gave them life. That was important to them. Then I look at things like, you know, we factory farm now and it's so, you know, against.
1: We lost our touch a little bit or our blush.
0: Yeah. Like I said, we definitely go against what nature wants. But nature is a weird thing too, because people, when they think about nature, they think about being in the woods or being outside and it's like really nature is just a part of you
1: we exist in the ecosystem if we are in denial of it or not we are a part of nature as well we're just kind of a bit arrogant separating ourselves from it so much in the laws of it as well as how we treat it and we involve ourselves in it Uh, that's why i like primitive man because it talks about like even the hunting and uh, even though they had to survive and eat they didn't know how to like grow gardens and work with the ground yet. So they were strictly hunting, right? It was hard for them, let alone did they not only feel disconnected from the universe and the world around them, they also felt disconnected from nature. And when they had to hunt animals, like it kind of hurts a little bit, but you know, you need to to survive. That's why you always would see old school paintings and artistic work where there would be a man with an animal mask in the hunting tribe but he didn't have any weapons he was the shaman who made it very spiritualistic and it really brought closure to primitive man to survive the way they had to in nature you know it's interesting because i don't think i've ever seen a snake cry over eating over a, a mouse
0: <laughs> well that's true when you talk about the arrogant, it's it's partly like we have the curse and the luxury of of knowledge right i mean we where of awareness i guess is what i'm talking about where other there's no other species who has that they don't have the awareness they just have a natural way of working within nature their own hierarchy and it's natural law the only time it's unnatural is when we get involved even like sometimes when you hear things like in florida people would buy boa constrictors and then Toss them into the swamps or wherever they are out there, and if they just destroy the whole ecosystem. The whole ecosystem's wobbled up. <laughs> it's like there's a natural order there, and it's just it just gets totally, totally messed up. Yeah. We have awareness, and that's both a gift and a curse, I always think.
1: We're consciously a little bit higher up on it in our own way. But at the same time, I think animals can be very conscious, but they do have that animalistic behavior that, We seem to like transcend. So it's, you know, we are the keepers in a way for this planet. And it's like, it comes down to us and our responsibility to see where we are in that place and make it better. We're supposed to garden the earth, not
0: necessarily destroy it or pollute it. Well, I think that's where myths and modernity kind of met, right? Older myths had a lot to do with balance in nature or balance with the cosmos or whatever you want to call it. Whereas modernity, you know, even modern religions, the way they're viewed now, a lot of them, it, it's always humans are the centerpiece of it. And when you take a really, really far perspective and you start going outside of where you live, look at it from the view of the sky and then get into, the, you know, the cosmos, you're just, you're, you're nothing. <laughs> you're just a spirit like you're not even a speck okay,
1: like this tiny little
0: yeah but at the same time you're very important to it in some way everybody's just is a part of it everything feeds off of each other everybody just plays a little part into moving it forward to wherever it's going
1: yeah always kind of viewed us as like blood cells or earth would be one neuron of a very large system off of like how the brain works or like the body we are one tiny little thing a part of a very large system universally it's like you know maybe for tiny little somethings that make a neuron <laughs> as a planet <laughs>
0: see i think we think of it the same way i always say we're just a tiny cog in a big machine maybe yeah i don't say like there's nothing i, I can't believe that there's nothing out there um, i mean we had we came from something so there's you know to believe you go into nothingness is a little too much for me to take but i think we i've said it before i just I, like i don't know what God is or who God is or, or whatever. But yeah, we're. Just, I think we're just a tiny part of a big machine. And I like the way you put that, right? Like do your atoms and cells know they're, are they part of their own world and don't even really know, you know, they're not a, there's not an awareness of us.
1: Yeah. At this point, they're just, my internal system is just functioning as it is. Is it aware of me? Are we aware of the bigger one that we're probably a part of? <laughs> yeah. It makes sense with the internal family system concepts, which is the idea that we have our own internal family system of all these different aspects that make up us, and then as a society, we're an external, large-scale family system, and it just keeps going and it keeps taking this idea, and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. and you're like, at what point is it in? And you're like,
0: yeah, I know, like where where does this go?
1: It just keeps going.
0: Was young? Was he religious at all? Or because hey, he does talk about like cultures. Uh,
1: his family was very religious. I believe his mom was the daughter of an alchemist and he's had two grandparents that were pastors or his dad and his grandpa were a pastor. So he grew up with it, but he was more spiritualistic and he challenged a lot of the concepts. His last two books that published later at way after his death were the red books and the black books. They're basically his journals and he had suggested that he didn't want them published while he was alive. He wanted his family in the future to publish it when the world was ready for it. And uh, yeah, it gets really metaphysical and he's, he loves mythology and he talks about a lot of that stuff too, on a psychological aspect as well as a metaphysical. Um, So I see it a little bit. as both. I do believe that mythology represents history and the human psychology. So like I find the most earliest forms of mythology to be really interesting Because when I read some of them, I just, I'm like, God, this feels like history, like a really weird history. And I'm like, okay. And that's when I'm like, okay, mythology can get weird. It can bring in some aliens a tad bit or different races, not from Earth, but interacting with Earth. Like even Odin is a popular one. They're not like him and his Greek mythology aspects. They're not, or not Greek, but from uh, the far north, Norway, I think. Uh Or yeah, they seem very alienist-like, in a way. Maybe they weren't, I don't know what they looked like, but the idea that they're not from Earth, but they're interacting with Earth, teaching things, and somehow sharing it with people in those time periods. And God is such a weird term. because people use it very loosely. Right. What were they really trying to describe at that point?
0: I think I read... Something like all well, those types of myths when you're talking about Odin. That, that's Norse, Norse mythology? Norse, yeah. Okay. That was more of making the cosmos and the celestial bodies much more relatable humans, you know.
1: Like with a personality and existence. Yeah, exactly. I have heard that before. Like, Because even the planets kind of appear to have their own thing or the gods have a thing with the planets. Which would make sense because people are staring at them and tracking it pulling the symbolism and how it represents to you on a personal level.
0: Think about that sometimes, too, if you're alive then, and to see something as wondrous as lightning strike, you know? It's weird because I think mythology birthed science a little bit.
1: Yeah, it was like a way to express it before you knew what it was.
0: Yes, exactly. It's like questioning it and then giving it some kind of meaning and then you study it and it gets deeper. But, you know, I can imagine... When people say they used to worship the sun or, or things like that, I, I could totally see that. It was the stuff that kept you alive. You know, when it went away, you're probably like, what did I do?
1: I know. And a lot of religions express the nature around them in a systematic way that comes off like God or goddess-like because it holds a high importance to your well-being or being alive. The Egyptians did that a lot with the nature.
0: And you were talking about the Egyptians. And those are times, though, that get interesting with their myths because it's kind of like... What the Romans did, even when we talk about changing Christianity around, it's kind of uh, creating a hierarchy or order, a social and political order with it. Myths turning into religion and, and justifying this stuff gave kings the divine rights that they had over classes. And it's funny, I didn't really think about it until we are just talking about all that stuff, but they're so influential in so many fields. I mean, think about them. Literate in the arts and psychology or anthropology, they're like the basis for almost anything when you think about.
1: It. Yeah, it really is. That's why I. It's one of my favorites. It's very important. And um, like I know other cultures, like even beyond, like before that, I think Sumerians, but were before Roman culture, mm-hmm. and they had a big shift as well with some of their belief systems that really were pivotal. Going from mythology, you know, more of a more modern religious state, too. But I always heard some weird stuff with the way that theirs came about, which would get into the idea that they were influenced by, like, Mm -hmm. this god or someone that had taught them something that was askewed or kind of twisted up in a negative way and started. So, like, I've heard that, like, it didn't go wrong in Egypt. It went wrong with the Sumerians, in some way. I've heard a lot of people say that like it's and I'm mm-hmm. not like huge with the Sumerian history. I've come across it plenty of times but I realize that there's something that definitely got twisted up at that point and it like kind of branched out and affected a lot of regions around the world really and throughout history and how they would view themselves existing in the universe and to even have a god and all that. It gets kind of weird like alien a bit again. It's always like can it, it's a hard one not to talk about because like, obviously we don't exist in this universe by ourselves so it's like what is some of this exterior influence we're <laughs> not to have an alien conversation but mythology uh, yeah. brings these things no, up I, listen, like, I,
0: I love this so are we
1: just the dumb toddlers of the universe falling for all this crap
0: <laughs> i don't know so i always say see, here's my problem so i don't disbelieve in life being out there it's just so vast i mean you think at some point the conditions are right for life or life will yeah. adapt to it And my only problem is the people who aliens always tend to kidnap are the most like rudimentary <laughs> i hate saying it like that it's like <laughs> like take smart people and it's always like people some
1: weirdos there, there's a lot of interesting stories with it. I also feel like a lot of people have been having different experiences. And for me, when I look at mythology, I see it on a lot of layers. I feel like as like a planet Earth has been experiencing this for a long time in a positive and negative way. So like, I'm sorry to keep taking like maybe some of the dumb people, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that would be necessarily in a positive benefit for us, maybe more in a manipulative way. But I do know that there's some really interesting stories with brilliant people, too. And it's just like really crazy. But at the same time, when I look back at mythology, I see just like how, okay, again, we're just we're trying to figure out how we exist in the world. And there's these gods and goddesses. And I do believe it exists like an archetype within ourselves. But then I look at it on the mass collective, too. And I'm like, what experiences are some of these stories coming through? And it's just I don't know, but it is really interesting. So like most, for most part, I do view it from like a internal aspect because like you see like the savior character a lot, the hero, you see how the journey and all the characters come into play and it's repeated throughout culture. So that's very internal, I think on a psychological level. But then some of the older mythology stuff, that's the stuff that I'm just like, Where'd that come from? It's not like the modern stuff everyone's mostly familiar with. It's the old mythology, and you're like, what's
0: going on with this? (laughs) You're right. It gets a little weird. Like, so there's a story at play all the time. I mean, you could take the hero's journey and look at that, and that's really repeated throughout all of the modern myths. But there's some weird shit that goes on (laughs) before we figured all that stuff out, I think. And it actually tell it's very telling of yeah. whatever time it was. You know, when you listen to, like, some of the old uh, stories they used to tell. Um, you know, like, Little Red Riding Hood was a story that when we lived in these little societies just was to teach kids not to go into the woods. Some of those old stories don't translate very – they don't age very well. But I guess they fit with the times is where they were trying to to teach.
1: And that makes a lot of sense, too, because – each generation or each time of era in history does have its unique voice. The evolution of language is always changing. They express a lot of stuff creatively through story, um, which I feel like is like a natural subconscious aspect because the conscious part couldn't necessarily grasp. How do I share what I'm trying to say here or what I may have witnessed or experienced? So that's why I love the complexities of mythology. And I feel like it's very relatable still today. I'm a little sad about modern day society because I think we're a little too disconnected from that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it does show a lot just in our religious systems, but also how we treat the ecosystem and exist in it. We were trying to learn our place within it. And now it's like we've kind of unlearned it a little bit and created our own little hyper bubble of society and got very complex.
0: Well, that's where... You know, that's where I say our awareness is a curve. It puts us on the top of the food chain. And it's very easy to look at the beautiful stars and, you know, a dark sky, but not think twice about the species that are stomped out or the land that's been used up or polluted. View things in relation to ourselves. And then it's hard not to once you have that awareness. We might be, like, almost too aware of things in some way. A lot of people are blind to the fact that there is way more out. I mean, reality is whatever. When I think about vision, that's just the way the light reflects your eyes and the way your brain makes it work. And that's fucking weird because who knows if me or you are seeing the same thing.
1: It makes it unique. Right. how so I say people would perceive reality or even metaphysical experiences, everything around them, even emotionally. We do have our own reflection or the own angle of the reflection
0: in our own way. Yeah. And then it's different for humans, too, because you throw emotions into it, and it's just a whole different game.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, because your thoughts create your reality. Your emotions Mm. create thoughts. So it's a vicious cycle when it's kind of out of control.
0: But again, that's that's a weird thing, too, right? Do you create the thoughts, or do the thoughts just use? So there's always this thing with neuroscience, and, you know, I've heard some... You know, people will be like, I'm a bad person because I had this thought. And it's like, well, you don't really control your thoughts. They come and you have a little bit of authorship on it. But it's really just dependent on so much that's out of your control. Thoughts can come into your head because, you you know, you got a bad night's sleep. You woke up and you stubbed your toe. That changes your frame of reference and your frame of mind. And I don't know. It's It's weird. You know, as I was listening to a podcast... And it took me a long time to get what this guy was saying, but he was talking about actually don't have free will whatsoever, which I think is a really weird thing to say. Yeah. I understood what he was saying after an hour of listening to him, Um, and a lot of people would disagree with him, but his thought was more like, you're the sum of a bunch of chemical reactions always going once, right? Um, Yeah. And your reaction might be based on, you know… At that moment, it was built up from the time you were in your mother's womb, and maybe she was a nervous wreck, and you just bathed in her anxiety. (laughs) It's like it's so weird. And and when you think about uh, like epigenetics or whatever, right? You're taking all your ancestors with you every time you're born. You're taking all their experiences too. Yep. That was kind of like his point. You're just the sum of everything that happens. And I don't know how I feel about that, honestly, but I understand where he's coming from.
1: I like it because when I describe how the subconsciousness works, it relates a lot to what he was saying. The idea that the subconsciousness takes in a bunch of data and information constantly and it will put it back out, project it in your reality or use it. Um, so the idea that if you are not cleaning house, taking care of your mind, it will create internal reactions. And emotions release chemicals in your body, which creates a lot of stuff from there. So when we view the subconsciousness like that, that totally makes sense. Um, That's why I liked one of the books that I read. And I know there's a lot of this topic's been around for a while. So it's not just Joe Dispenza, but that was the book I had read that really helped me kind of get control of my depression a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. And it was the idea that our thoughts create the releases in our body the chemical releases And how do we break the habit of being yourself? It was the idea of consciously diving into your subconscious, trying to heal certain things. And yes, a lot of it was generational too. So it's like, not only are you, you know, it's anything you would have experienced that has been stored in your subconsciousness. And there's a lot, it's a, very large computer system. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: I mean, so
1: I don't know how many file cabinets we could compare it to, but I'm sure it's in the. Well, so one
0: of the interesting things I had to deal with is I had issues with perfectionism. So a lot of things I wouldn't start because if I couldn't do it, then why was I going to do, do it? Or <laughs> I wouldn't share it with the world because it wasn't perfect. And, you know, working with therapists, like, that's shame. It's not perfectionism. That's shame. It's not even that you're worried about people's reactions you're worried about the shame that comes with if it's not right you feel like you did Perfect. something wrong and it was interesting to think about it in the sense that you know it's it's a trauma from when you're like it's always like overbearing mother or this or that, so and, that. well it's generational right it's the trauma maybe your parents put on you that kind of pressure and you're really reacting you're really learning something and taking a generational trauma, and then putting your own spin on it. Like, when I thought of it that way, well, it's crazy. I mean, it's it just, I, I don't even know where to go with that. It's crazy. But I thought that was interesting, your thoughts. I can't think we don't have any free will, but I also understand, well, let's talk about it before, right? Like, you're a part of everything. I understand momentum and inertia. The more life moves on, the more you move with it, and you have a certain lane or a certain way of doing things, and then it's it's harder to break this cycle. But I I feel like that breaking the cycle is a conscious effort that is free will. I mean, this guy's point was, like, it wasn't. It was just all the chemical reactions that let up.
1: That might be a bit extreme. I think you're free-willingly going with the flow and letting it get out of control, and then you're using your free will to gain control. But at the end of the day, no one's using it against you. It's just it's easier to live on autopilot, and, and that's something I would refer as autopilot. At that point, when your subconsciousness is just doing mm-hmm. its thing organically, and your conscious aspect is going along with it, you know your subconscious is triggered. You're consciously projecting it out or reacting. You're letting the subconsciousness take over the system, and that's autopilot. Um, you still have free will, and no one's taking away your free will necessarily. You are actively tossing it in the air or neglecting it. Yeah.
0: No, I I think you're right. I think you toss it away or you neglect it. And, but that's also part of not living in the moment. You can't do that if you're aware of the moment you're in, but you can do that if you're elsewhere. And most people live, I always say most people live in the future or they live in the past. And the only way you can correct, I mean, it's okay to look to the past as a learning experience, but it's over. Like you can't relive it all the time and the future obviously that's important too but if you're taking care of the present you're more likely to take care of the future the future just kind of can take care of itself a not easy to do but
1: oh yeah it's holding consciousness on your life at that point uh being consciously aware i think does mean you're in the moment it's not just aware of the past aware of the future but you're trying to bring it all together as this trifecta yeah it. but the healing the goal planning the living part Kind of need all of it a little bit.
0: Uh, I, sometimes I feel like we're going through something too, because we live comparatively speaking to the past. You know, the people who made up these myths or started them or the oral tradition. I mean, it was a lot harder back then, right? You had to hunt your own food. You had to grow your own crops. You had to. You worked because you had to, right? I mean, now it's it's different our natural instinct is towards what they call like the lizard brain or whatever you want a reptile brain we have all these luxuries that afford us to think or not use the body we were given the way it was supposed to be i mean this is the first time in history when you think about it that being heavy is actually more of a sign of not having wealth than the opposite right like because you have access to it's shitty kind of food funny, yeah. is what it comes down. You, you eat shitty food because you don't have access to good food. <laughs> it's not
1: just like royalty or the upper ups who might be slightly overweight. It's not a sign of wealth
0: anymore. <laughs> yeah. I always, and I think about that. I'm like, wow, we, society's gotten really weird when you think about it.
1: Yeah. Like the women used to want to have their hair lightened, but they'd wear large hats so mm-hmm. it wouldn't get their skin they didn't want to be dark colored skin or get tans because it meant you were working out in the sun. Yeah. And they didn't want to be a, you know, associated with people like that. And it was just kind of goofy. And now here we all are like, let's get a spray tan. tan (laughs) tan."
0: (laughs) That's abundance, I guess. Right. I mean,
1: but I guess the luxury part switched over. Now we all want to like, enjoy this side and have a tan. Yeah.
0: now It's definitely changed now, but I think that all plays into, into the psyche, you know, very much does, yeah. And then I get it too with mythology, the stories, and then finding meaning, especially when you're just trying to survive, you know? And now it's kind of like the opposite. you got to find meaning in a different way. It's, it's something we're still adjusting to.
1: I think we're definitely going through another hero phase here soon, if not now, with a good percentage of people. But you can't just merely exist and be of m- just lazy humans. You know, it does cause mental health issues. You get lost in where you're at. Some of our religions are very lazy even. Um, So it's like just this easy, lazy, fast Mm -hmm. food living. Like, you know, religion is fast food almost in the sense you just order, you know, your salvation or you order this or you order that and you just have it all, you know? And what are we really doing? I was saying this earlier with another friend. I was like, at the end of the day, I feel like we're just all being lazy. Yeah. I was like... Humans, civilizations before us, before had all they had all the accommodations at their fingertips. They were not lazy. They were extremely resourceful. They created very big, amazing stories that we'll still talk about now. What is our era? What is our story? Besides technology advances and accommodation? Maybe. I had
0: a weird theory. Actually, I wrote something years ago about that. And it was kind of like, it was just thinking out loud about it, though, that maybe our evolutionary path was to bring about machines. It was technology. And maybe that's the human story is to evolve into that. And then you hear all the AI stuff and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, it's Terminator 2, man.
1: I know. And it's funny because there's movies on this. And I always say sci-fi, people who write sci-fi books or movies, especially back with the the good ones, they really knew their history on a cosmetic level or a universal level. Because like, Really interesting. But yeah, there's the one where they got the aliens and the AI and all that. And like, there's this huge ordeal. I am not a very, I haven't watched it much. I just, I understand the basics. But um, it's the idea that this has been repeated. Maybe not on this planet before, but there is even universal history lessons that come about. Um, Which I love universal history, not just Earth history. So I do my best to try to resource universal history. Makes me think sometimes maybe some of those libraries that were destroyed long ago actually held some more history lessons on some of the cultures that were beyond Earth. But I feel like this has definitely happened before, if not on our planet, other planets. And we are trying – I think we knew the history at one point, and now I think it's just like lost, destroyed, and we're totally repeating it in a sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that the people who write the hit are the winners of history.
1: Yeah. It's all perspective. Can't get just data.
0: Yeah, it's not very, yeah, it's not like it's by somebody independent. Usually it's somebody with
1: an emotional attachment. Yeah, to I mean, it.
0: even the people now, you'll see it more now. I mean, you know, the, the atrocities and stuff like that. It's not empirical. It's an emotional attachment to that side of it, too. Yeah, I do wonder that, though. Like, what was in that library? What books have been lost?
1: What I think about the most now, the Vatican has 27 miles worth of bookshelf space that is private and not open to the public. I want to know what the hell they scavenged through all of this lost context. And why can't we have it open to the public? 27 miles worth of bookcases. And I'm not saying 20 miles in diameter, just out of all the square inches of shelf and book.
0: That's crazy.
1: That's a pretty big library. Who got to read that?
0: Who gets to read that?
1: Only the Vatican. Oh no, <laughs>
0: the guys in weird, uh, not us. <laughs> The weird uh, outfits and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, we definitely do not get. Yeah, that's wild.
0: That. Um,
1: I hear it's like underground or in like a safe space, very extremely private and well secluded. Yeah, when we know that people who go searching for history and you know they dig in the earth and they're looking for stuff, they still are finding parts of these libraries and caves that were like preserved, yeah. but they're in really bad. Shape the fine stuff now in our day of age. But so torn up and terrible, and been through so much weather, like an environment. Like these are like in terrible shape. But to know that there is a library that still exists today, and like I'm sure Africa has stuff too, because like God, Africa is a motherland of all the good history and the ancient stuff,
0: cradle of civilization. They got
1: some good shit, and they. And I think they preserve a lot intentionally because I know there's some really ancient spiritualistic places there. I hear the Ark of the Covenant still hanging out in Africa too. And like I've heard some like I've read I cannot remember the man's name, but like maybe the early 1900s he went over there to see it twice. Um, it had radioactive elements coming off of it, and like the people were guarding it, usually died within X amount of years because they were around it so much. So I was like, "Oh, so like radioactive box with three items in it?" Yeah, interesting. How does that even exist on the planet? And it's been disappeared for a long time, but a few people have claimed to have been allowed to go, and it's like deep in a jungle on a sacred land, being guarded apparently. But when you hear stories like this, you're like, okay, parts of history still do exist. They're just not for the public.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, governments all (laughs) the time do it, right? They have so much top secret information. Every once in a while, it's like drips and drabs, but.
1: Like a little crumb to make it away from (laughs) warm. You know,
0: I do. Yeah, I wonder people who have certain clearance what the hell they know, you know? Right. What goes on there?
1: If I ever go to the Vatican to visit, I'm probably going to get arrested because I can't help but snoop around.
0: (laughs) I wonder if they're like in those type of, what do they call them, like those vaults that are a certain temperature and they have to try to keep them from getting corroded. Like the light's very low and there's a certain light that they use.
1: They got to be like cooler weather, but not too cold. Right, yeah, there's like a
0: certain temperature.
1: No, like zero moisture and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that.
1: I would imagine the... Whatever library that's private with the Vatican is probably one of those because I know it's kind of under the property from what I've heard in the past. And it's, which would make sense because it's something like a vault, basically, like a very large vault library of whatever books and things they could have <laughs> gathered throughout all the pillaging and the wars. They were lucky to get what they got, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, because
0: I would think even recent.
1: It's like bits and scraps, I'm sure of it. Well,
0: like even recent history, like World War II, you look at and how much artwork and how much was lost. They deliberately attacked and destroyed well, it. Yeah, I mean they wanted that was part of the control, right? To destroy all the books and the artwork the and the history. I mean, art is a part of history. The culture and tells you a story about culture, which is sad. Yeah,
1: they didn't want it to be relatable, and we've been doing that for like all of mankind basically our war experiences are have never been nice uh when we destroy we destroy mm-hmm. uh,
0: a <laughs> man does not mess no, around no. well it's more scary now because the weapons we have are, i don't know destroy the whole planet yeah i mean i happen. not I, I don't know i look at some things and i'm like just looking at history it's kind of a scary time right now it's probably like like to me i don't want to sound legal but it's like i'm like it's 1936 1937 real all over except now we have weapons you know when you look at the stuff that's going on with russia and and stuff like that yeah and and you know just inequality and things like that that's usually the recipe nationalism
1: yeah and it's also i think at the core a lot of the times it's not just politics some of these countries not all but some of them are definitely more like religious based and they're still arguing over their place in that too um it's just like division across the board completely. And it's like, we are literally going to destroy this planet over politics and religion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I try to look at the deeper and you'll see. I talk about it all the time. You have a nationalistic element that builds in this country, but it's all over the place. And then you have the religious elements and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to like something's wrong in society for common people. And they know it and they just don't know how to express it.
1: It's very frustrating to be in those spaces. Um, Which, I'm sure, if we all reconnect with mythology a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes, though, now we're just, like, too smart for our own good. Whereas I think most people look at mythology, that's all horseshit. You know, they don't see the meaning.
1: Very, very unrelatable, yeah.
0: And they don't see, you know, like, I'm always like, God damn, I mean, Marvel movies are based on a lot of that mythology when you think about it, right?
1: Like in a modern day twist. What? That's even. All, the, yeah.
0: all they are is some kind of weird modern twist on the mythologies.
1: I love it. It's inspirational. Yeah. How do we get people to tap back into that organically within themselves?
0: That's, it's going to be so hard. I don't know. I like to think that there's, well, I think sometimes you see a lot of the problems too that occur now is because. I shouldn't say we have too much knowledge. We're just learning what to do with the knowledge. Like, there's an awareness that we're living the wrong way. It's why you'll, again, you'll see a lot of the problems. It's just that people don't know how to express what that is a lot of times. I think we're starting to get to a point though, where my fear is always like, how many people have to die before we realize (laughs) that we're organized the wrong way? You know, do we have to lose a, like, do we have to have a nuclear war and lose a few billion people and say, shit, this,
1: Yeah, this is fucked up.
0: What happened and we should be living a certain, I don't know.
1: I agree. Um, I think we like to hyper-focus on a lot of the details without maybe relaxing and seeing a bigger picture, which would probably provide some insights on maybe problem-solving in a more naturalistic way. Mm. Um, And, you know, I'm not really a fan of governments these days, I'm not saying I don't like the idea of having a government. I just feel like when it's so wrapped up tight, like a uh, spring, yeah. that's how I'm feeling about politics lately. And I think people f- are still trying to rely on a system that is obviously broken, looking for help or truth or some balance from it. And it's, it's not going to be the mass collective system that gives them their balance. It'll be their internal first then, when the internal x amount of percentage of people start to balance out, then you'll start seeing it on a macro
0: scale. Yeah. Costume. Well, I, I think um, like politics is kind of funny sometimes too because people will you know, talk about like jobs or something like that, and I'm like, you know, you have some control over your job, <laughs> like like oh this president didn't get me get enough jobs and it's like well don't you have some control over where you work i mean it's just it's a system right society is a system and it's actually like the idea of democracy is i think a good idea in general like when you think about it at the core uh, core, well you go back to like socrates greeks and stuff like that i know socrates didn't love democracy um if you read him Sometimes, like, what he was saying about democracy, you'll be like, shit. He thought one of the problems would be, like, for example, you should be an experienced or educated type of person. Because once you realized you could just vote in, as opposed to, like, somebody who should be there. But, but there's another guy who's, like, a sweet shop owner who's like, I could just give you free sweets. People would be like, okay, that, that sounds better.
1: Like, manipulated and stuff. Yeah. yeah,
0: like, it's easy to manipulate masses. But I think, I think the idea is there. Humans have organized themselves terribly. Just that's what it comes down to. We organize ourselves so wrong. It all comes down to power dynamics. I
1: agree. And I think we make decisions like that out of fear or insecurity at the core. It's always an emotion that makes us make the wrong choice.
0: Yes. I say that too, right? So there's an interesting theory I heard. And it was talking about people who make predictions, whether it's an economist or somebody. And they said the reason why they're wrong most of the time is because they look at things from a logical perspective, and human beings do not act rationally whatsoever. And when you think of it that way, it's probably totally true.
1: It makes sense. Right? I mean, how many
0: times, you know, how many fucking purchases have I made that I was like, that was a bad moment. (laughs) I don't know what happened there.
1: Like, I'm feeling sad, depressed, probably shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it.
0: (laughs) I start rationalizing in my head. I was like, sure, I'll drop 500 on this thing. Why not? I mean... I deserve it. I worked hard. But yeah, I, I thought that was like an interesting way to look at it. Um, the difference between us and primates or animals is not that they don't have emotions, but we're too run by our emotions.
1: We take whatever they're going through and we somehow extreme it as yeah. humans in some ways because there's a lot of similarities. Uh, you know, animals are emotional, they're instinctive. We are a part of the same ecosystem, but we somehow have a certain part of our evolution that is definitely different, makes us smarter, but almost more retarded <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> interesting breed on this planet. The most interesting
0: breed. Oh, that's true. We definitely are. And, uh, you know, it's also interesting. We're, we're very lucky in some ways, right? If the dinosaurs didn't go extinct, if the comet or the meteor didn't hit the Earth, we wouldn't be here. We got lucky, right? We derived from carbon. We, I think we derived from the water, not mistaken. We, most of it came out of the water. Um, I'm to have to fact check that.
1: That makes, it
0: makes yeah, sense. that when you think about it, our hierarchy can be there, right? Like the dinosaurs would have been wrong.
1: Well, but we are, we are a very adaptive species. Maybe we just wouldn't, we've been more thinned out,
0: but you know, you change one thing in history and something doesn't happen. Um,
1: they would have been eating us, but some of them.
0: Yeah. And it was also different back then. I know, like, one of the reasons they were bigger was there was just more oxygen. The-
1: so it was a more of a chemical thing or something that had affected the atmosphere to create the space for people, mm-hmm. basically. I think the flood story in the Bible talked about something like that, like the, how uh, to do with the atmosphere. People live shorter days slowly and. I think we also progress to be smaller. Um, but there's obviously other stories that explain giants and a metaphysical kind of
0: Well, giants are I thought I read some some of those stories like with giants would be people finding dinosaur bones and not knowing about dinosaurs.
1: I could see that. Right. Like so I mean we very much could see that.
0: I think we only really started digging up fossils in the late eighteen hundreds that we started figuring that out.
1: Well, there's a lot of stories of people physically coming across alive giants, though, too. Yeah, I, I like pre-flood history a lot. There's a lot of pre-flood history is interesting, and I do think it inspired some of the earliest mythology because it was just like really out there. But I think people were speaking from their perspective of imagination, which is very different for our culture of today because you know language evolves. Um, but no, they were they were definitely talking about like giants. You got know, the angels and the demons. Which I view these words very like limited terms or terminology mm-hmm. uh, because I think what we call like an angel or a demon is like a very broad, very large lane. And just the same as saying there's many gods, same idea. But oh, there's really interesting history before the flood. Um, and that's always caught my attention. Even though I own a lot of books on these things, and I'm like have the concept of t- to read it someday, I still haven't made it through my reading list.
0: <laughs> that, that's my problem. I start like well, the problem is I like read too many books at once. Then
1: same, same. Because
0: <laughs> I start reading, and then I'm excited, and I'm like, this other book looks really interesting. or like, it
1: starts out slow, and you're like, boring. Yeah, well, that's the, I'm
0: like, I don't know if I'm smart enough to get this concept.
1: That's how I feel about astrophysics every time i read science books i'm like i have a couple stephen hawking books that i had to like read a couple times and i'm like i feel like i'm just putting it into my subconsciousness to have it kind of chew on it and bring about whatever it needs to from
0: that Um, oh yeah i feel that way about science a lot well sometimes i feel like i'm reading it and i understand the concept and then i'll try to explain it and it's like it's i'm like i don't understand
1: it you're like blah 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 I love quantum physics. I love astrophysics a lot. I'm quite the amateur, though, and I am not the one to necessarily ask.
0: That's like, I love reading about string theory and stuff like that, but forget about it. Like, get me past the third dimension. What the fuck, are we talking about? Like, what is that? What's past this? Gotta go
1: back to basics. Read, okay. uh, what's the, Flatland? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> not that it's basics, but it sure is cute. It makes sense.
0: I know. I, but, you know, it's funny. You read some of that stuff and you're like, people will call, you know, somebody, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like somebody who's spiritual, crazy. But I'm listening to some of these like physicists and what they're talking about, like at an atomic level or at a cosmic level. And I'm like, this guy could be just straight telling me bullshit. Oh, it sounds so out there.
1: I love the fact that science is stepping into these lanes. It is. That's of- so nice, though
0: it's kind of bridging that that gap right i mean science is catching up to a lot of these unexplainable things and honestly i mean about time where it's going to go eventually who knows
1: i think it'll match up very well for the i do have high hopes for the future generation i think because we're experiencing in the last hundred years just a lot of political bullshit we've had their ups and downs just on like a worldwide level but like um uh, it's been going on for a long time, but like, I really think we're hitting a tipping point in that and it's going to start swinging the other way.
0: Well, here's where- We
1: cannot go any farther in one direction that we're going now. It has to go the other way.
0: I think a lot of the turmoil is the tipping point. However, this goes back to the awareness thing. You might not see the tipping point in your lifetime because that's it's just such a small amount. It's so infinitesimal. Time when you think about it, right? I mean, it could take two or three hundred years now. Time, when you talk about all time, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's a snap of a finger. For us, it's everything. Yeah. And I think people also don't recognize that because they think of things in terms of their own, like their own just little itty bitty chunk of time.
1: Yeah. No, and I agree with that. That's why we need to be more on a large scale perspective. We need to start stop and I always say there's a moment to zoom in and zoom out but I think when it comes to things like this you have to zoom out you can't just be hyper focused on the zoom in it's very stressful because we have a lot going on in our culture just worldwide for a while now and it does take a while but I I really think when I look at it like even like on an astrology level generations that are being born right now with like their Neptune placement where it's like okay they're going to have a very large self-awareness level with that placement. And they're going to be the ones who are not going to threaten to bomb each other, but to take a different approach through their own personal self-realization. And I have some hope for that generation. The alpha one has that and we're prepping them with all of our healing, the generational crap, bringing out the subconsciousness, our new science. If you think about it, it's all prepping this generation
0: does. To- yeah, I think when I look like Gen Z or the Alpha, you're talking about they're different, you know? Um, yeah. I'm a, I'm on the tail end of Gen X. I mean, I guess you're millennial.
1: I'm a millennial, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, but I think something started with those groups. Yeah. We did some stuff. Uh, I think we more were just like, well, we're part of the latchkey kid generation where it's like, I was like, like the first generation of the working parents. Where you're left home to your own devices.
1: To like watch TV, eat dinner meals, and take care yeah, of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Make <laughs>
0: myself microwave meal and make sure you lock the door.
1: Independence, yeah. yeah.
0: That's it. Yeah, it's, it's a little different. I, I think what you see is the changing of the guard now at this point. And you could tell the older generation that. Unfortunately, I think that older generation is still in charge, and yeah. that's where you're seeing the turmoil, the intergenerational battles, is
1: controlling the, the politics better. around the world for the most part. Still,
0: oh. yeah, well, that's that's exactly right. When they get into power, and that's there, why I wonder too. Like, I, don't a, know, I, like I hate a, to be like ageist or whatever, but it makes should sense seventy year olds and eighty year olds. When
1: you look at generational stuff? characteristic traits and how they certain ones are no longer relatable to the yeah. younger. They always have a minimum age, but is there a maximum?
0: Yeah, I I do wonder that too. And then if you don't want to say it's ageist, I look at it from the perspective of that means an older generation is making decisions for For a generation. They're making decisions based on their generation 40 years ago for the generation coming up in the next 40 years. It doesn't make any sense to me.
1: No, I totally agree with that. because. And it's funny, but like even looking at it through like astrology view, each generation is followed or categorized by the, you know, Neptune is like the main one. So when you look at Neptune as its 14 to 15 year space gaps and how it doesn't just affect the individual, but the mass collective of that era, they're very different personalities. Yeah, it's It's really not fair to have that be going on because at this point. Obviously, we can see that there's much going on in the world right now with, like, even Russia, uh, Ukraine. And yeah. I'm sure that's still going on. I don't watch the new, I try to avoid oh, it. You. Yeah, it's and, still, uh, there's things going on. I'm positive that was not concluded in a year. <laughs> and then uh, you got Israel and Palestine again for, like, how many thousands have been fighting for a while? One country invests in itself and thrives. The other one invests in war and conflict, and the people are angry. It's politics it's also again. Different, though. How they treat it's also
0: different. I think and religion. I don't even think it's country to country anymore. I think it's corporations. Now you got like the multi conglomerate corporations. I mean, a lot of the stuff is like you know you want to talk about Ukraine. It's like yeah, we send weapons, but I read that you know Lockheed Martin and all these. All these people they're like, Let's test out these new weapons. It's not our people getting killed. Let's try these out so we could, you know, make another that's twenty so billion shitty. dollars for our stockholders and stuff. So and and I think that's where the younger generation sees the bullshit. But that's where I love them, you know, even like talking to my kids sometimes like like that's all stupid bullshit you're telling me. <laughs> but you know, they're connected in a different way too. Like older son plays video games. He was telling me about the kid in Russia that he was playing a video game with. That he's talking about the war. So he's actually getting a perspective.
1: On a one-on-one individual uh, Yeah, reality. that's
0: totally different than what you would see, whatever's curated on television.
1: I love that way better. Because um, like, I don't watch the news, but I do have friends around the world at this point. And one of my friends, he's Jewish. He's a business partner of mine, and he's in UK. He was talking about some of the Palestinian refugees coming in and the anger they were feeling, how they were giving him and his family dirty looks because they were Jewish and they're they're well off. And he was going to Starbucks and he's like, I wasn't trying to make anyone feel bad, but I really wanted my coffee. (laughs) And And I was like, you know, it really does give you... A very different perspective when you're talking to people on their personal level versus listen to the news, express like the political perspective and why it like, may be justified. I, I feel so bad I for think, all sides. Yeah. I see that
0: too. But I see that there's more of awareness right now. Like with, so when you're talking about like that conflict and I won't get like, too deep into that, Like, think it's very, very people have very strong opinions Absolutely. about it. That people are more aware of the human toll of it more than you know, you're talking about, like, the state of Israel or, like, the government of Israel versus Hamas. No, I don't think many people are siding with that part of it. They're talking about the human element of it and, you know, collateral damage and what what people would call collateral damage, which is just a way, nice way of talking about killing people. That's all that is.
1: Yeah. Like, it's just data versus people and human families and lives. It all really sucks. Um. I'm not a big fan of politics in the current day form because I feel like it sacrifices the everyday person very willingly, very quickly. And it may, even corporations, but also like even religions do the same. So, like, those are three main things that all come into play in decision making of,
0: yeah,
1: or you got your religion, your politics, yeah. and your corporations. Uh, it's it's
0: yeah. like a uh, the soul of power, it's a hierarchy.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, do the people actually care enough to want to go through it? Or is it just the rich people who are willing to but do it? They
0: do put a lot of everyday people because they do have a choice in who they elect. They have a choice as far as looking at it from a, a perspective of, I guess my weird thing is like, I've always thought it was strange since I was a kid that is like this made up thing. It's just made up. It's a unit of measurement. That's all it is, and the only reason it has value is because you everybody chose to believe in it. And you want to talk about like Africa or something? I mean, there's tribes still that have this stuff. They live like Native Americans did back in the day. If everybody just decided to not believe in money tomorrow, it wouldn't exist. The power wouldn't exist. Like you just—I never understood it. It's such a weird. I mean, I guess everything's be- like that. I said that to somebody one of my. She was like, "Well, that's the law too." And I was like, "Well, I guess you're right." But at least a law, like, it's a way to organize your society. Like, these are the rules you have to be. Money is just, like, a tool of power. Like, I understand the yeah. concept. Yeah, well, I understood the concept of it as far as, like,
1: Ener- you know, like An energy exchange, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, bartering. Yeah, you- but then now, like, economically, it's so out of whack, you know. Yeah,
1: could you imagine being, like, when it first started up, people are like, here's a coin – it had to have been gold because that would be the only thing that would really get people's balance. Yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, bartering oh, made more coin. sense.
1: Thank you for farming all day versus like, here's some corn or some food yeah. the farm. Yeah. The something barter sustainable.
0: system like, made sense to me, but I think that. To
1: introduce money must have been like chaos.
0: Yeah. Well, so it was very tied to where you live. There used to be a lot of competing. Coins, I guess you could say, or or money. Grain would be like something that competes against. It's almost like the way the stock market works now, right? I mean, all that stuff actually does have some weird value to it. It's just so fucked up that it's tied in manipulating the the markets and stuff. It's weird to me. But um, the start of this country has a lot to do with all the states, at least the constitution, has a lot to do with the fact that every state had its own money. Some of them had different types of versions of their own money. And the Europeans didn't want to trade with us at some point because it was like you could get something and then be bankrupt depending on the state where you were. The state didn't have to do anything about it. And because of that, I mean, the honest to God's truth was they were just getting together to reform the Articles of Confederation That's although uh, fifty-five men got together to reform it, and they were not tasked with making a constitution. That's exactly what they did. Madison and Hamilton pushed that, but that's why it's weird to me too because we we get so like crazy with the Constitution, and it's kind of like a renegade document though. They weren't supposed. Again, that's something that's a belief system, right? I mean, the Constitution is a belief system. I. I shouldn't say that out loud. People give you weird looks when you start saying, that's a renegade. It's a renegade document.
1: It makes sense, though. And it, like, in a sense,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. The whole thing must have been, I couldn't imagine being alive at that time. But it's just a lot when you view history on details of that time specifically. There's so much going on. But then, like, at the same time, I love King Solomon a lot. He has very interesting history, and I believe he was one of the First, who set up international banking before it was officially international banking? Yeah, and he was also like, so he had a lot of stuff, and I, I think he wrote Ecclesiastes personally because unnamed, but obviously it's got his name all over it. If you think about how he talks, and he was like, you know, what was me? What were all my actions? You're gonna basically remember everything I've done for the rest of humanity.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We're like, oh yeah, yep. Seven hundred wives in your bedding with seven hundred—all those cultures, his worldwide connection. Because each wife was basically a contract. Get a lot going on. I always take it back historically. We have a lot of our modern-day things in society. Like, Mm. where did it start in the first place? It went from being villages or small estates to going on a very large scale. Yeah, and he he really pulled in a lot of his own personal
0: influence on it too, which is crazy.
1: Because banking back then was a horseback.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it was more – well, that was part of like the knight – when you get to like the knight's templar and stuff like that, right? They were protecting yeah. really rich people traveling.
1: And that still comes from King Solomon because well, that, he was yeah. before the King's Arthur's Table was dubbed King's Arthur Table or the Round Table.
0: It's weird, right? Like you think about yeah. how banking evolved and that's actually like national banking – was really just to protect people on rat on route to somewhere else. And think about how history is influenced by that. Like when you think about the Knights Templar, you're thinking of the Crusades and that. And it, it's everything intertwines so much. Weird when you start looking. That's what my friend said. It's a web. <laughs> exactly. It all goes together.
1: That's why if you love history and it's always the coolest mystery. It's sad that history is.
0: <laughs> yeah. I agree. And we're always, uh, you know, it's always changing. It's always in motion.
1: One thing I want is my own personal influence. If I could historically influence the world around me, I would like to influence it as a voice of the mass collective Mm -hmm. through its emotional phases of the experiences we're going through now. I think there's people who do that and they might not be doing it in their life and get recognition for it, but they do.
0: Uh, Yeah, well, that's the way it works a (laughs) lot, right? And a lot of times it's the person who's crazy while they're living, right? Like later on, they get the recognition. (laughs) Well, I'm going to wrap it up because we went really long, although I could talk about this forever. So we'll have to figure out something again. I don't even know what to call this because we covered just about, I think we covered everything in civilization.
1: Humanity
0: at the core. Yeah, I think so Humanity
1: experience.
0: I think we peeled back the layers. We peeled it like an onion. Yeah. There's many
1: layers to it. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Please come back again. We'll chat about something. Enjoy your evening.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: Well, thank you for coming back. Have a good night. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jay Burke Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcasts or go directly to jayburkshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon.